This morning we're going to talk about the subject of beware of the leaven of the Sadducees and Herod. Last Sunday morning we talked about beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. The truth is, is that every one of us is subject to being influenced by someone else. If you don't believe that's true, you let someone say, I've got some new food for you to try. And a person puts it in their mouth and they make this awful face. They give it to someone else and they make an awful face and they give it to you. How's it going to taste? Sometimes that influence can be powerful in our lives. And sometimes people do it out of a selfish motive. Sometimes they're trying to manipulate. They are trying to bend our will to meet theirs. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul would say, They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. These are people trying to influence you so that you will do what they want you to do. The result is sometimes being influenced can allow us to be led astray. In Jeremiah chapter 50, Jeremiah said, My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. They've turned aside or turned away from them on the mountains. They have gone from the mountain to hill. They have forgotten their resting place. And then Jesus would say in Luke chapter 6, that the blind leading the blind will result in both falling into the ditch. Our last lesson looked at the Pharisees. This lesson we're going to look at three things. We're going to look first of all at the faction of the Sadducees, the faction of Herod, and then as we did last week, facing reality and see how this sometimes is influencing our own lives. For just a few minutes, let's talk about the Sadducees. If I were to ask you, what do you know about the Pharisees? Most of us would say, Jesus confronted them often. Paul was a Pharisee. But when I ask you the question, what was a Sadducee? Most of us are going to remember our vacation Bible school song. Don't be a Sadducee because they're sad, you see. That doesn't tell us a whole lot. Historically, they were connected to the family of Zadok. And I'm sure some of you are probably saying, who was Zadok? He was the high priest during the time of David and Solomon. And if you will notice, they were often associated with the high priesthood. In fact, in the Hebrew language, if you pronounce the Zadoks or Zadokites, it's almost the same as if you were saying Sadducees. And we can see that in the Bible as well. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 17, Luke tells us, Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, and then he states, Which is the sect of the Sadducees? And they were filled with indignation. We learn that it was those of the priesthood in the first century who were associated with the Sadducees. But not everything they taught was in error. In fact, the Sadducees, many things they taught was correct. And I want to spend a few minutes for us trying to understand the Sadducees and their faction to see what it was they taught that was correct 
And what it was they taught was in error. And there are three major sources that we have for understanding the Sadducees. The first is the New Testament. It's inspired of God. And whatever the New Testament says is true and correct. Second of all is the writings of Josephus. Josephus was a historian. And he tells us a lot about the various sects or factions in the first century. He describes what it is they believe, why it is they believe it. And then the third is what's referred to as the rabbinical writings. We're not going to spend any time with those. I think there's enough from the Bible and from the writings of Josephus for us to understand. The first thing that you will notice about them was, is they rejected oral traditions. Last week when we talked about the Pharisees, we talked about how Jesus rebuked them Mark chapter 7, Matthew chapter 15, when they had allowed their traditions to supersede the writings of God. Their traditions, their oral traditions was, here's what God's word said, and then they interpreted it, and then they also added things to it, and their traditions became as binding as what was written. They believe that you only accept the Torah, the books of Genesis through Deuteronomy. And in his book on antiquities, Josephus wrote, What I would now explain is this, that the Pharisees have delivered to the people a great many observances by succession from their fathers, which are not written in the law of Moses. And for that reason, it is the Sadducees who reject them and say we are to esteem those observances to be obligatory, which are in the written word, but are not to observe that which is derived from the tradition of our forefathers. I don't think you have to read very long before you understand what Josephus was trying to say. These people said you follow the written word of God and that alone. And I think most of us would say to that, Amen. Most of us would say you go to what God's word says and you don't follow the writings of men. In fact, that's where denominationalism arose from. How people decided that they wanted to believe, they wanted to practice Things that are not written in the book. And so you have these denominational creed books, which are separate and apart from the written word of God. And Josephus says that's the difference between the Pharisee and the Sadducee. One thing we will notice later is the limitation they had of what books they were going to follow. But the second thing that we learn is they denied the resurrection of the dead. They did not believe that there was anywhere in the books of Genesis through Deuteronomy where it was stated that man has a soul. And because of that, they said man doesn't have a a separate part, a spirit within him. And they would say there's no future life beyond this life. And because of that, they would deny the soul. In his book on the Jewish wars, Josephus wrote, But the Sadducees are those that compose the second order and take away fate entirely 
And suppose that God is not concerned in our doing or not doing what is evil or what is evil at men's own choice and that one or the other belongs to everyone that they may act as they please. They also take away the belief of the immortal duration of the soul and the punishment and rewards in Hades. Now, let me, for the first part, address their idea of fate. Their idea was of the Sadducees is that everything is scripted by God, much like people who believe in Calvinism. The people who believe that God's sovereignty has already decided who would be saved and who would be lost. And they have decided that everything is a result of fate. The Sadducees believe that you had free will. That you could choose to do evil or not do evil. You could choose to do righteousness or you could choose not to do righteousness. That it wasn't the matter of fate. And to that, most of us would say, yes, you have the right to choose. But when you come to the next part of this, they denied the future soul. They denied the rewards and the punishment after this life. The Bible says exactly the same thing. In Acts chapter 23, when Paul was appearing before the Jewish Sanhedrin, he recognized that that body was composed of part Pharisees, part Sadducees. I'd suggest to you it looked a whole lot like Congress in the United States today. Where you have one view held by one group of people and another view held by another group of people. And we read in Acts chapter 23, but when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out to the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Pharisees say there is no resurrection, no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. So we understand they deny that. But perhaps the best illustration is found in Matthew chapter 22. If you want to turn to Matthew 22 with me, I'd like to set up this section. I'm not going to read it all, just a few of the verses. Our Lord has been confronting on this day. In fact, it's right before He's going to be crucified. He is confronting a number of different views or ideas that are being raised. The Sadducees are wanting to pin Jesus down on the resurrection of the dead. And so they're going to ask a question of Him. Look in verses 23 and 24. The same day, the Sadducees, who say there's no resurrection, came and asked Him, saying... Teacher, Moses says, if a man dies having no children, his brother is to marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. They continued to say, well, what if this brother dies and the next brother marries? And he dies and the next brother marries. And he dies and the next brother marries. And they would say, in the resurrection, whose wife or whose husband will be to this wife here? All seven have had her. And the Lord is going to respond to that in verses 30 and 33. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, 
or like the angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken by God saying, I am the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Isaac, and I'm the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And the multitude heard this. They were astonished by his teaching or at his teaching. What the Lord was doing was pointing out how they had mistaken the teaching of God's word. When the Bible says, I am the God of Abraham, I am the God of Jacob. He was saying they're living, they're not dead. But they were also a part of the upper class in contrast to the middle class Pharisees. When you start looking at the history of these people, they often displayed their wealth, their silver and their gold. They would drink out of gold and silver vessels. They would wear all kinds of beautiful clothing. There was a lot of money spent by them. And their idea was you only go around this time in life. Enjoy everything that you've been given. And because they were wealthy, they displayed it. They wanted others to be able to see it. In contrast, the Pharisees believed if you had something, you ought to portray yourself as being humble so that you'll have something to put forward in the next life of the world to come. And so the Pharisees saw the, the um, Word of God as something that was living, something that could be interpreted. Whereas the Sadducees saw it as something that was static, much like the, the debate over the Constitution of the United States today. Is it a written document that we are to say this is what it is? We're to live by it? Or is it a living document that you can reinterpret and reinvent every few years? Now I want to talk about the faction of Herod or the faction of the Herodians. If you go to Mark chapter 8 and verse 15, you read, Then he charged them, saying, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And some manuscripts say the leaven of the Herodians, those who followed Herod. And the Herodians were just as involved in trying to take down Jesus as were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Just to use two examples from the book of Mark, chapter 3, verse 6. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Or chapter 12, verse 13. Then they sent to him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. Most of us know even less about the Herodians than we know about the Sadducees. At least our little vacation Bible school song says, I don't want to be a Pharisee, I don't want to be a Sadducee, but it doesn't say anything about the Herodians. The Herodians followed the family of the Herods, beginning with Herod the Great, his sons who followed after him, and in this context, the Herodians of which Jesus speaks and the Herod of which Jesus speaks is Herod Antipas. The Bible just simply calls him Herod, but he is actually the one named Antipas. And you say, well, what do I know about him? Well, he is the man that killed John the Baptist. 
In Mark chapter 6, he believed that John the Baptist had risen from the dead. And John, or Mark records here, when Herod heard, he said, This is John whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. He believed Jesus was John coming back from the dead. Mark goes on to explain that the reason why he did this was because of Herodias, who had said to uh, John the Baptist, had said to Herod, It's not lawful for you to have your brother Philip's wife. So, this is a mean man. He killed Jesus because, or killed John the Baptist because of his rebuke of him. But later on, if you go to Luke chapter 13, you learn that. Evidently, the Herodians had conspired with the Pharisees, or Herod had conspired with the Pharisees, to try to get Jesus out of the Galilean area. Herod's rule, Herod Antipas, was over Galilee. And he wanted Jesus out of his area. And so we read in Luke chapter 13, On that very day, some Pharisees came to him saying, Get out and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Go tell that fox. Herod was a sly man. He was cunning. He was deceitful. And if you'll notice... Not only did he kill John the Baptist, but now he's trying to run Jesus out of his territory by threatening to take his life. But the third instance we learn of Herod Antipas is what happens when Jesus is at his trial. If you'll remember, Pilate had brought Jesus in. He hears that Jesus is from Galilee. Herod is in town, so... Pilate's going to call Herod and let Herod render his decision. We read in Luke 23, verse 6, But when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean. And soon as he had knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now when he, Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he desired a long time to see him, because he had heard many things about him, And hoped to see a miracle done by him. And then he questioned him with many words. And when he answered him nothing. And the chief priest and the scribe stood and vehemently accused him. Then Herod with his men of war. Treated with him with contempt. And mocked him. And arrayed him in a gorgeous robe. And sent him back to Pilate. What do I see here? I see a man who has no respect for the Son of God. Now, some align themselves with these Herodians, and they align themselves with Herod. They saw in him something attractive. Here's a man's family who, by means of political intrigue, was able to captivate them. Going back to Herod the Great, who had gone to Rome and gotten them to proclaim him as king of the Jews... And then after he died, his territory was divided among his children, with Herod Antipas getting the area of Galilee. But you see, they were subject to Roman governors. The very 
idea of Herod and Pilate that we just read about shows that they served under the direction of these Roman rulers. You see, some of the Jews saw the Herods as their ability to be delivered from Rome. They thought the Herods were going to rise up and they were going to be the rulers and cast Rome out. How little did they know. Now, for the next few minutes, having already understood a little bit about the faction of the Sadducees, the faction of the Herods and the Herodians, is it possible that some of their doctrine could influence us as well? You know, in the passage we read just earlier, Brother Marty read for us, the emphasis was upon the doctrine of the Pharisees and the doctrine of Herod or the Herodians. It is possible to become materialist and live for the pleasures of this world. You see, the Sadducees were the materialist. For them, everything was about living for the day. What am I going to enjoy in this life? What kind of pleasures am I going to have? It's easy for us to forget that there will be a future judgment for us. If you go to Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, there's a man who's wanting Jesus to divide the estate between his brother and himself. And he is so concerned. I want my part. I want all I can get out of this life. And Jesus said to him in verse 15, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. That is so important. Life is not measured by how much you have. And Jesus goes on to say in verses 20 and 21, speaking about a man who had thought that I've got it all. All I need to do is just sit back and take it easy. And God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. And whose things will be those which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let me ask you a question. What means more to you in this life? Is it something that is physical that we have or is it something spiritual? I remember I was a teenager in a youth rally listening to a man speak. And he asked the question, what would disturb you more to find that you had a scratch on your new car or that a soul died and was lost in hell? And his point was, if you're more worried about your car than you are about your lost soul, your priorities are wrong. And that's an influence of the Sadducees. It's easy to become focused on the ills of this life, the poverty, the environmental theology, social justice, and even this renewed earth doctrine that started circulating, where everybody focuses on the material rather than on the spiritual. They're focused on the here and the now, whatever is in this physical life, rather than focusing on where God is. I'm so thankful for the book of Revelation, particularly chapters 4 and 5, 
that introduce us to the throne scene of God to focus our minds and our hearts away from this physical world to where God is. The second lesson that I think we have to be careful of is that we do not allow ourselves to become ignorant of the Scriptures and God's power. Going back to Matthew chapter 22, if you go to verse 29, Jesus responds to them by saying, You are mistaking, or you do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. The reason why the Pharisees or the Sadducees had embraced a false doctrine was because they didn't know the Scriptures. Nor did they appreciate the power that God had. One of their problems was they limited the Scriptures to the Torah, to the first five books, Genesis through Deuteronomy, while ignoring the message that God sent through the prophets. When it comes to the historical books of Joshua through the book of Esther, or the wisdom literature written by David and Solomon, or the message of the prophets. They just ignored them and they rejected them. And I find some people today saying, well, you know what I do when I read the Bible? I just read those words in red because they're the ones spoken by Jesus. They're the only ones that really count. In fact, several years ago, I remember there was a brother who wrote a book saying, that for us to read the epistles and to try to find truth there is like trying to plug into a reflection of a wall socket. He said what we need to be doing is plugging into what Jesus said. The law of Moses was by God, but so were the writings of the prophets. What we have recorded of the words of Jesus and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are important. They are essential because they're of the Lord. But the men that he sent out, the apostles and the other inspired men, those writings are also as important because they reflect the teaching of Christ. One must learn to take all that God's word says on a subject and not just be seeking for proof text. Next, some must be careful of mixing the spiritual and the secular. You know, when Jesus dealt with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians, one of the great questions that come up was, what are you going to do about taxes? So notice what he said in Mark chapter 12. Then they sent to him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. And when they had come, they said to him, teacher... We know that you are true and that you care about no one, for you do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God and truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why do you test me? Bring me a Daenerys that I may see it. And so they brought it and he said to them, Whose image and whose inscription... Is this. They said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus answered and said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Do you know what that's saying? There are things that belong to God, and they don't belong in the secular realm. 
There are things that are in the secular realm that should not be brought into our spiritual discussions. They're distinct. We are to pray for. And we are to be obedient to the civil authorities. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he said to pray for those who are kings and all those who are in authority. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he said, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether the kings is supreme or the governors of those who are sent by him. But you and I have to realize our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is not primarily here on earth. We are, as the song says, but straying pilgrims. That comes from Hebrews chapter 11. Talking about Abraham and Sarah, who confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. They were seeking a heavenly country. We have to realize this world is not our home. But now here's the sad part. Some have become so more concerned or even enraged by secular politics than they are their spiritual home. I'm going to be direct here. I'm going to be frank. Brethren, some are writing more harsh words and more enraged words on Facebook about politics and would never say anything to a neighbor across the street. About their eternal soul. We have become so earthly focused. We've lost sight of our eternal home. That was the problem of the Sadducee. That was the problem of the Herodians. I'm not saying right is not right and wrong is not wrong. What I am saying is there's a very subtle influence that comes and says... Forget about the spiritual. Forget about the eternal. Think only about today. Don't think about tomorrow in our eternal home. You see, being ruthless and crafty is the world's value system, not God's. Philippians 2 and verse 3, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Or James chapter 3, verses 14 and 16. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Verse 16, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing will be there. We've got to make sure that we keep our hearts and our minds focused beyond Whatever group is ruling in power here on this earth, because there's one thing that's certain. Jesus is on his throne and he's in control. And in just a few years, none of this will matter. But I can tell you what will matter is where you spend eternity. Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of the leaven of the Sadducees. Beware of the leaven of Herod. Be on your guard. Be on your watch. Don't let yourself be influenced in a negative way. Keep your mind focused on eternity. 2 Peter 3 verse 17 will be our last verse. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, 
being led away with the error of the wicked. Don't allow yourself to lose what you've worked so hard for. Keep your mind focused on the Lord. It's possible here that you're here this morning and you say, you've got my attention. I know that eternity is so important. I need to focus now on where I'm going to go after this life is over. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I'm willing to turn from my sins and start doing what is right. I'm willing to confess His name before men and be baptized for the remission of my sins. We sing a song of encouragement, an invitation song, if you will, to encourage you while we're singing this. You can come take a seat on the front and say, I want to become a Christian. And we'll see that you're baptized this morning, in fact, immediately. If you're a Christian, you're struggling with sin in your life. And you've let yourself become worldly focused. Now's the time to make it right. We're going to sing the song, Trust and Obey. And if you need to respond, would you come as together we stand and sing.